0: Hands up if you have doubts. Am I the only one? Come on, you're in church, be honest. You know, I I doubt that anyone other than Manchester City are going to win the Premier League this year. We can always hope. I doubt that Theresa May is going to successfully negotiate Brexit without somehow falling off somewhere along the line. But we'll see. then we have doubts in our own lives don't we as well why don't you turn to somebody next to you and tell them some of your doubts they can be generalized doubts that I've just shared they may be personal doubts that you have what doubts do you have today maybe you doubt this message is going to go the right way from this point on what doubts have you got You know, we have doubts about life, don't we? All of you have got doubts. I have doubts. But we have doubts about faith too. You have doubts about faith? Sometimes. Sometimes they kind of wash over us and we go, is, is this really? Lord, are you really going to do this? I know what you promised, but really? How? When? And we doubt. You know, we're in good company in great company with our doubts. We've been looking together about how we become effective for Jesus. And we've been looking at some of the, the key habits that we have to have in our lives. Any of you got irritating habits? Anybody been told they've had, got irritating habits? Yes. Habits are things that you just do without thinking about it. And we've been looking together about the kind of habits that we should have in our spiritual lives, things that we do without thinking about. First one we said was that we read and obey God's Word. Reading God's Word should be a habit for us. We shouldn't have to wake up every day and think, oh, I've got to do my Bible reading. It just needs to be a habit. Oh, I've got some spare time. Let me read God's Word. Hey, let me do it every day. We just do it without thinking because it's part of our life part of our lifestyle. The second thing is we need to have an active prayer life, an effective prayer life. We need to be talking and listening, sharing and receiving from Jesus all the time, just as we do with one another. The third thing we said that we need to have is we need to set spiritual goals. If we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus, it's not just going to happen. Any more than if I decide to learn the, the piano, It's not going to happen. What happens in the piano when when you start learning the piano? Well, then you, you learn and you do grade one. And then you learn and you do grade two and grade three and grade four up to grade seven. You pass the exam, you move on. You pass the exam, you move on. They set goals each time and each time it gets increasingly more difficult. But they set those goals and those opportunities for you to learn and to have that kind of benchmark that you've reached somewhere and then you can move on. I got to grade five before I got thrown out of piano class. But that was the goal that I got to, and then that's another story. But in our spiritual lives, if we're going to grow with Jesus, we need to set goals. It's not just going to happen. So often we kind of drift through our spiritual life and we wonder why we're not growing, but we've not actually set any, any goals or anything. We've not listened to God and we looked at what we need to do. Listen to Him, hear what He's saying to us, set some goals about how we're going to grow and develop in our spiritual lives. It doesn't just happen. You have to be focused about it. And the fourth thing we said last time was that we need to be flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, but also to use those gifts that God has given us to encourage and build up the gifts in one another. God gives us spiritual gifts, but it's always for the building up of His people, His church. And so we allow God to increase the gifting within us so that we may increase the gifting in others too. And we just continue to flow in those gifts. Today we're going to look at number five of these seven habits. But before we do that, I want to go back to what I was saying about doubts. Doubting is the opposite of faith. And sometimes we feel so bad when we doubt because we think, God, how can you use me? How can you flow through me if I've got doubts in my life? I don't have enough faith. I'm not good enough. Turn in your Bibles to a famous passage in Matthew. Matthew 28. If you haven't got a Bible, go grab one at the back. Or just outside the door. Our uh, projector gave up this week. And so uh, we need to get that repaired. So we're using the little one at the back. But I'm not going to beam up like I normally do today. Until we get the, the big projector fixed again. So let's use our Bibles. Matthew 28. The Great Commission, you know it. Go into all the world and make... Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always to the very ends of the age. Know it well, but let's look at it in a little bit more detail. And we're going to start before we get to that point in verse 16. Because so often we miss the context in which Jesus said these words. And you miss the context, you miss the power of what he's saying. Verse 16, Matthew 28. It said, "Then the 11 disciples, remember one who killed himself, Judas, 11 left. They went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. What does it say next? But some doubted. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? I, I read that and I just thought, hang on a minute. Some of them still doubt it. Some of the 11, not some of the wider disciples. It's just the 11 they're told about. After all they've been through, how could they be like that? How could they still doubt? You know, on the surface here, you've got a, such a useless bunch of individuals. One of them had betrayed and committed suicide. They'd all run away in Jesus' hour of need. And then they met Jesus, the risen Christ. He came and he stood amongst them. He broke bread with them. They saw him loads and loads of times afterwards. And here, when it comes right down to the end of the story for them, they're still doubting. How could they be like that? They had the specialist training. They've been sitting at the feet of Jesus for three years. They saw everything that Jesus had done. They saw every single miracle that Jesus had performed. They saw him healing people, raising people from the dead. They saw him touching people and transforming their lives. They seen everything with their eyes. They've been there. They've been in the inner circle. They'd witnessed it all, and yet they still doubted. Not only had they seen, but they'd experienced everything too. They'd experienced the change that went on inside each one of them. You can't hang around with Jesus for very long before there's change inside of you. It's impossible. Jesus is an agent of change. When you hang around with Jesus, you start to change. He just kind of rubs off on you. I remember when I was a young boy. My mother told me not to hang around with my best friend. She said, this boy is a bad influence. I'm still hanging around with him today. But she said, you know, he's a bad influence on your life. Don't hang around with him. He's a church treasurer now, so I'll say no more. But she she reckoned that if I hung around with him, then his influence was going to affect me, and she didn't want that. And so she said, stop hanging around. And Jesus has that same kind of impact in our lives. You hang around with Jesus, he'll influence you. His disciples were influenced by hanging around with him for three years. There was change within him. But also there was change because they felt for the first time, they experienced the Spirit of God flowing through them. Do you remember when Jesus sent them out? He said, hey, go preach the good news of the kingdom. Go heal the sick. And what happened? Well, they went out and they preached the good news of the kingdom and they healed the sick. And they came back sad? No. Rejoicing. Why? Because they had felt the Spirit of God flowing through them. They knew what the power of God was all about. They had experienced it for themselves. So why are they doubting? And not only that, they had heard everything that Jesus has spoken about. They'd heard him speak to the leaders, they'd heard him explain the scriptures, they'd heard him. Thank you. Heard him telling others about the good news of the kingdom. They told or they'd experienced what the transformational word of God was all about. The old testament had come alive, had suddenly taken on new meaning. They heard all about it. And so it all started to make sense. It started to click into place in in their hearts and in their minds. And not only that, but they had access to everything as well. Do you remember? Think about all those unrecorded moments those disciples must have had. There must be so much. We have... Four books that explain just a brief encounters of the stories. But just think of all that time they had in the evenings when they were with Jesus. Those moments when they could ask him questions. Those moments when they could just get feedback. Those moments where they could just have all their doubts answered. Jesus, what about this? What about this? Never made it into the pages of Scripture. But there were those moments in their own lives. They had all of that. And yet here they are, doubting. Now, what would you do if you were Jesus? Maybe today you'd send them on a back to basics course. You failed. You failed Christianity 101. You better go retake the class all over again. Guys, what are you doing doubting? I've given you three years. I've told you everything you need to know. I've, I've experienced shown you, you've experienced it, and yet here you are still doing it. Or maybe Jesus would have said, hey, they need new vision here. They're they're kind of losing their way. And let's go on a re-envisaging process here. Let's let's get a new vision for these people so that they can actually, you know, keep moving forwards because they're doubting right now. Or maybe, maybe Jesus thought, well, let's just... Perhaps I should start again. Perhaps I chose the wrong guys. Or maybe maybe I need to do some counseling with them and unearth the real core issues here. Why are they still doubting? What's going on in deep within them that's causing them to do this? What is, what's happening? There's, there's issues that are unresolved. We need to get to the root of this. And anyway, what were they doubting about? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us, does it? just says, but some doubt it. But in the Greek, there's two words for doubt. One word, which is the word that's used here, means to waver or to hesitate. The other one means, means to kind of oppose and object to the truth that's being told and to question it. So they weren't, they weren't objecting to what Jesus, their doubts weren't to deny everything that had gone before, but they were wavering they were hesitating the greek says they're not sure maybe it was a kind of a thomas kind of doubt is this really jesus unless i put my finger john 20 verse 25 unless unless i touch those hands and feel his side could this really be it looks like jesus but how can anybody come back from the dead I'm not sure. Maybe it was a Peter kind of doubt when he was walking on the water in Matthew 14, 31. How can we go forwards? He, he's asking us to move forwards, but he's going to leave. And what? How, how are we going to be guided now? How's it all going to work out? Jesus is no longer here. We've been relying on Jesus to tell us what to do and to take us forwards. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that if he's no longer here? Or maybe it was a Philip kind of doubt. Do you remember in in John 6, the feeding of the 5,000? He says to Philip, when they're all hungry, he says, you go feed them. Philip goes, what? What do you mean feed them? It's going to take years, wages. I I can't afford that. I, I haven't got enough to do to feed them. And there was that kind of doubt that you could do, you could take the little bit that you had, the fishes and the loaves, and allow Jesus to transform them. Can we still accomplish the task that he's asking us to accomplish if Jesus is no longer going to be with us? But look at what Jesus does to dispel the doubts. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The first thing Jesus does is he reminds them of the truth. Where is the power to accomplish what I'm going to ask you to do? Where is it? In Jesus. He says, don't, I'm not going to give you the power. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to who? Jesus. That's where the power comes from. You have your doubts, but hey, guys, I'm stronger. Don't worry about your doubts because the power doesn't reside within you. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, he said, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The power comes from on high. How could these 11 manage to survive? How could they go and make disciples? Because the power that was required to accomplish the task is given through Jesus Christ. And how much power does he have? All authority. He has it all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. So when these disciples went to Alexandria, the head of learning, and they faced the the most brilliant minds in the world, did they have to be afraid? No, because all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And his authority is greater than the greatest learning in the world. When they went to Rome, to the seat of central government and to power, Did they have to be afraid? No, because they knew that all authority, all power has been given through Jesus Christ. If they go to Athens, to the seat of all religious authority and religious thought, do they have to be afraid? No, because they know that the one who is to be worshipped and glorified above all has the power to break down even those kind of strongholds. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, you may be doubters But remember, I have the power. All the authority has been given to Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus doesn't do is address the doubts. He doesn't say, oh, okay, guys, we need to talk this through here. No. He says, first, remember this truth I have the authority. You don't need it, you just need to let it flow. So how could these 11 men accomplish the Great Commission then? Well, truth be told, they couldn't. You've got 11 doubting individuals, or at least some of them. On their own, it's impossible. But with God and the power of God, the authority of God, the impossibility becomes a reality. Look down to verse, the end of verse 20. And we'll go back up again. He says, I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always. To the very end of the age. He's saying, you know what? All authority has been given to me, and I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about your doubts, because I'm going to be with you. And the impossible becomes a reality. And I wonder whether the disciples started thinking about other examples. Do you remember when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and she said, Hey, how am I going to be with child? With man it's impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. Remember the when Jesus was teaching about the rich entering the kingdom of heaven? Easier for the eye or the camel to go through the eye of a needle and a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they said, then how can any rich man enter the kingdom? With man it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. It's in Matthew 19, 26. You see, what Jesus does is he reminds them. He reminds them of where the power comes from. He reminds them of where his presence is. And then what does he do? Go to verse 19. He says, therefore, Go and make disciples. Go back into the arena and start doing the job. As you're going, it says in the Greek, make disciples. You see, the only place, the only place that you experience the power of God flowing through you is as you're going. Most of us want to wait for it to come. Okay, God, you top me up and when I feel ready, when I feel topped up, when I feel really, you know, ready to go, then I'll go. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. The way to do it is to go. When you go, I'll flow through you because I'm going with you. I'm going to go before you. I'll go after you. I'll surround you. I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. As you're going, make disciples. You see, the results are not our responsibility. They're God's. We just need to be willing to go. And as we go, he flows. You know, Jesus didn't tell his disciples either. He didn't say, go build a church. He didn't say, go show love to everyone. Go serve them. Go care for them. He said, go make disciples. It's the only thing he's told us to go do. Go make disciples. But but what happens when I go and I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? It's going to happen. We had Norbury School in this week. Ninety. Six and seven-year-olds. No, they're five and six, I think. Anyway, six-year-olds. Ninety of them. Still getting over it. And a a five-year-old, six-year-old asked me a question I didn't know the answer to. In front of all the rest, the cheek of it. I was telling them Christian things. And they came in and they said, where does the word church come from? Hey, hang on a minute. I'm a pastor of a church. I don't even know where the word church comes from. And I couldn't get out my Google on my phone and look it up quick enough. I said, I have no idea. Anybody? I don't know. You'll be all looking it up now. Phil knows. Where's it come from? He put his hands up. He's regretting it now. He's regretting it. It's from the Greek Ecclesia gathering. Man, nah, that's wrong. <laughs> it's kind of to do with that apparently it's an old English word from something and summit and so, it's really boring anyway but it, ecclesia doesn't sound anything like church but it's kind of linked but anyway you're going to get asked questions you don't know the answer to but that's okay Just I don't know but what happens what happens if I go People reject what I say, or even worse, they reject me. Yeah, that may happen too. You know that? Just keep on loving them. Keep on serving them. Keep on saying what you know to be true. What happens if I say something wrong? I get mixed up, and in that moment I say something that's just keep going. happens to all of us. Jesus said, as you're going, make disciples. It's what it means to love. You know, knowing Christ is the best thing, isn't it? And if you really love someone, don't you want to give them the best that you can? I remember years ago, I challenged this church, whatever church means. I challenge the people here. I challenge myself. If I say I really love people, but I don't tell them about Jesus, it doesn't make sense, does it? Because if I really love them, I want to give them the best that I can give. And the best is Jesus Christ. If I really love people and I say that I love them, why would I hold back the best for them? I don't want to give them church. I don't want to give them religious baggage. I want to give them Jesus. I want to give them a relationship with Jesus that frees them and encourages them and builds them up and gives them purpose. And if I say I love someone and don't give them Jesus, I question whether you really love them. Because loving someone wants the best for them. So, how do we do that? You know, in some ways, I was thinking as I was preparing this, we shouldn't really have an outreach ministry at Trinity Church. Luciana should be redundant. You know why? Because we should all just be doing it. We shouldn't have to have a ministry that says this is how we're going to go do it. We should all just be naturally going and sharing Jesus to people around us. And people should be coming. But then we shouldn't have a pastoral ministry either. Because we should just be loving everybody. You know, we should just be, it needs to be a habit, part of our lives, so that we just go do it. But how, how do we do it? Let me give you a few little steps. First, stay sensitive to Jesus. It's Jesus that gives you the openings. And you need the sensitivity to Jesus to recognize when those openings come. When you stay close to Jesus, you will recognize when these openings happen. Out for a meal Friday night with an atheist stroke agnostic openings come. So you speak. Why? Because I'm listening to Jesus all the time, saying, Lord, show me. Because I'm thick, right? I'm I really am. And and I miss so many things. So I say, Lord, you know, you know just how ugh, But if I stay sensitive to the voice of Jesus, then I'm sensitive to these opportunities. Jesus kind of puts it inside of you. And then you ask him, ask him to give you the words. Lord, what do you want me to say? Because these are not words coming from me. These are words that I want Jesus to say into that person's life. He knows what's going on in their life. He knows what he wants to say to them through me. So, Lord, just use me as a vehicle to speak in whatever word you want to say into that person's life. And then you share what he tells you to say. And then, critical, shut up. Right? I'm really bad at this. I recognize that. Share what God tells you to share and then cut it. Sometimes I get on a roll, you know. You ever know when you go in an argument and you start winning? You never quit then, do you? That's the point, particularly when you're a guy. That's the point where you should just go, hey, small victory. Let, let me leave it at that. No, you never do that. You push it too far and then you fall. It's the same when we talk to G- about Jesus to others. Say what God tells you to say and then be quiet. Why? Because God knows how he wants to speak to these individuals. God sees them. He sees their life. Sometimes he wants to use you to lead them right through to that point of leading them to Jesus. But more often than not, he wants you to to just say a few words that they can then think about and he can work on in their lives. And then later he'll add some more. And later he'll add some more and add some more. So when he tells you, that's it. Be quiet. You've done what God has asked you to do. You've helped them to move a little bit further, a little bit more in their relationship with Jesus. Then be quiet. Fourthly, always show love and respect. Jesus gives each one of us freedom. Freedom to love him, freedom not to. Freedom to accept Him and follow Him. Freedom to go our own way. We need to do the same with people around us. Give them the freedom. Love them and respect them no matter what the outcome. Your love and your respect. Jesus did that. Father, forgive them, He said on the cross. They don't know what they're doing. Did Jesus ever stop loving people? Never they nailed him to a cross and he's still loving them. He's still forgiving them. And if Jesus does that, then that's what we need to do for others too. Regardless of what they say, don't make it conditional. You keep on loving them. Even if they reject you, keep on loving them. Keep on serving them. Keep on respecting them. Keep on praying for them that one day they will see and turn. But you love them. Number five, trust God for the results. He knows better than you or me because he has a plan for everybody's life. He sees individuals. He sees us from beginning to end. And he knows how he wants to feed into us and talk into us and impact our lives. And he knows that in others too. Trust God. Let God be God. You don't need to take that responsibility and that position for yourself. Number six, be committed to that person no matter what. You love them, you stay committed to them. Keep serving them. And lastly, thank God for choosing you to be the vehicle through which he flows. He doesn't have to. But the amazing thing about God is that he chooses humanity to speak to humanity. He chooses you and me to speak to the people around us. He chose 11 messed up, confused, doubting disciples. And he said, through these 11 men, I'm going to transform our world. There are over 2 billion believers in our world today, thanks to 11 doubting men. And if Jesus through His power, can do that through them. He can do that through us too. You see why verse 16 and 17 is so crucial? Go into all the world, make disciples. That's what we usually just say. And then that means, oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? I'm not gifted enough. But hey, there were these doubters that stood there. And Jesus said, you know what? All authority has been given to me and I'm going to give it through you. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to go and use you where I send you. And you're going to transform the world. And that's exactly what happened. In the book of Acts, we read about all those people coming to know Jesus. Why? Because these 11 were willing to go. And that's what he wants for you and me. Make disciples a habit. Think about it every day. Lord, today use me. However you want to use me, I'm available. When you wake up in the morning, say that prayer. Lord, today use me. Flow through me. That I may be part of the greatest miracle in this world, making disciples of others. Lord, show me someone. Show me in my busyness. Show me. Just help me to stop and to say the word that you want me to say. Help me to love as you want me to love. Help me to make disciples. Lord, I've got doubts. Lord, I'm weak. You sing that wonderful song, let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Lord, as weak, as poor as we are, use us as you use those 11 disciples to transform the world around us. There are people that are hurting, that need to know and experience the love of Jesus. Lord, use me. Let's pray. Father, your one command to your disciples was to go and make disciples. Lord, use us to make disciples. We have doubts. We're not the most gifted orators. We haven't got all the answers. Sometimes six-year-olds confuse us. And embarrass us. But that's okay. Because Lord. You can still speak through us. Into six year olds. And 60 year olds. And 106 year olds. And everything in between. Use us as we go. About our daily business. To make disciples. Help us to, to be sensitive. To hear you saying, speak this word, say this thing, do this action, so that we can be part of your great plan for these people. And we can see many come to know you, not because of ourselves, but because of your presence, your power, your authority, your love. And Lord, as we just have a moment of quiet now, we lift to you those that you've laid in our hearts, people in our spheres that don't know you. Lord, use us in whatever way you want to bring them to yourself. These people that we have named to you now will have the joy of seeing them welcomed into your family. Because we love them and we know how much you love them too. So we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ.